Hello. Usually my voice is loud enough to be heard all around, but um, I'm Stacey. I'm on the staff team here, so I'm just going to read God's Word and, and pray this morning. So the Word for today is from Ephesians 6, from, chapter, from verse 10 through to verse 24, the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This in with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I can't say this name. <laughs> say it. You, that one, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Tychicus. Tychicus is the name. Tychicus. There's not too many of those in Northern Ireland. Tychicus Hawthorne. Um, I know time has rolled on. Um, we've had a brilliant service already, and in many ways that would be enough. We've heard enough. We, I, I'm actually just wrecked inside listening to Jamie and Lydia, just brilliant feedback on the Blue Houses. But equally, this is the last in our series, and I've got lots to say. So um, we're going to finish this off um, this morning. We will get straight into it because um, I am aware of time, but it's just wonderful to be here this morning and sense um, the presence of God among us and what the Lord is speaking into our hearts. So Paul comes to the conclusion of the Ephesian letter this morning, and he begins with these words, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Just in case the Ephesians are tempted at the end of this letter to default back to self-reliance and self-power and self-strength, Paul reminds them to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I think we all need that constant reminder. We're all tempted to go back to lean on our own strength and we need to be those who are strong in the Lord, not in ourselves and in his mighty power. 
This series for me has been a joy and a blessing and a challenge and I hope it has been for you as well as we journey through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're preparing to make our next movement towards Pentecost Sunday in a few weeks' time and as we do that, my my desire echoes the Apostle Paul's and my desire for all of us would be Carmoni Church be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. For Jamie and Lydia and the team, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. As you go back down to Central, back to the Blue Houses, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. As we live our lives forward into the future that God has for us, let's not be those who, who rely on our own strength, inadequate strength. Let's not be those who just forget everything that we hear and that God has been teaching us, that the Spirit of God has been putting within our hearts, but let's be those who are strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Let's be open to the power of the the Holy Spirit who's at work in us and through us. Back in chapter 1, just to cast your mind back, Paul began his letter to the Ephesians by praying that their eyes would be opened, chapter 1, verse 19, to his incomparably great power that is for us who believe. And then Paul continues and he says, that power is the same power as the mighty strength that he exerted, that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. And so Paul wants us to know that the power that, that, that he is talking about, the power that's available to us as Christians, to you, is no less than resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that, 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 that Jesus was ascended back to the Father. That same power lives in you and lives in me. It's this power that resides within us and it's this power that we stand on as we finish out this series in Ephesians. So three um, big thought movements this morning as we think about standing strong in the Lord. Three big thoughts. Take your stand. The enemy is real. Stand your ground. Put your armor on. And stand in prayer. The spirit is within you. Take your stand. Stand your ground. And stand in prayer. So take your stand, the enemy is real. In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer writes this. He says, for Jesus, the devil is not a fictional villain from a Harry Potter novel. He is real. He's a real and cunning source of evil and the most influential creature on earth. Three times Jesus called him the prince of this world. The word for prince is archon in Greek which was a political word in Jesus' day used for the highest-ranking Roman official in a city or in a region. Jesus was saying that this creature is the most powerful and influential creature in the world. In another story, when the devil claimed that all the kingdoms of the world were his to give away, Jesus didn't disagree with him. Just think about that. We have a real enemy. The enemy is real. We've covered this ground recently, actually, here in in Carmoni. Um, In in chapter 1, verse 21, Paul has already declared that Jesus is risen and exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's where we begin, okay? He is exalted far above and beyond any force of evil in this world. Paul was speaking about the enemy and his dark forces. 
Then when we got to chapter 3, verse 10, we get to the heart of the mystery of the gospel. And we read that God's intent was that now through the church, through us, through you and me, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to whom? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul is again reminding us that the enemy and his dark forces are real, but we're making God known over them. Jesus triumphs over them. And now we get to chapter 6 and in verse 11, Jesus says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. So Paul homes in on the enemy and he singles out. In chapter 6, towards the end of the letter, he singles out primary enemy number one, the leader of the opposition force, the leader of the resistance against the kingdom of God, the leader of the powers and dominions, and his name is the devil. The devil. He's no fictional movie-like character. He's the most powerful, influential, anti-Christian creature in the world. The enemy is real. The enemy is real. We need to be alert to that. We need to pray that over Jamie and Lydia and the Blue Houses. You hear me, Carmony Church? We need to pray that over these guys. The enemy is real. They need protection. They need protection. They need the prayers of God's people. The enemy is real. We need to be alert to that. Our struggle, we're told, and we know is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But we're also told, aren't we, in the Bible, in God's word, that the enemy has been defeated. He's real, but he's been defeated. We celebrated that on Easter Sunday just a few weeks ago, Sunday evening, on that resurrection Sunday, we, we stood here and in this place we declared that the enemy has been disarmed, completely disarmed. Satan is not only archon, he's not only the prince of this world, but he's also the diabolos. And that word diabolos just means the accuser. He's the slanderer. And his primary weapon against us, against you and me, uh, are his accusations. He's a liar and he's a murderer from the beginning. As Jesus says in John 8, there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Again, we're praying over the blue houses and over our church family that we would not listen to the lies. That throughout the communities that we're involved in, that people would be, would, would, would be able to resist the lies of the enemy, the one who wants to lead into addiction into depression, into anxiety, and into destruction. That's his native language. That's all he speaks. Jesus reminds us of that. And so we need to understand the language of the enemy. We need to understand his game plan and how he wants to lie to us, to deceive us, to put our mind off who God is and the promises that God speaks over us as his people. He only lies to us. He wants us to believe really bad things. On Easter Sunday evening, one of my favorite evenings, by the way, so far here in Carmoney, we were quite small in number, but boy, it was unbelievable in here. We declared triumphantly Colossians 2 verse 15, where we read this, having disarmed 
the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He has triumphed over the enemy. Isaiah 54 verse 17 has been fulfilled and we need to be incredibly thankful where the prophet says this, no weapon forged against you will prevail. No weapon forged against you will prevail. Fulfilled in Jesus, the power of the cross. No weapon the enemy forges against you will prevail. In the art of war, Um, Not a book that I'm inclined to read that often. But in the art of war, it's an ancient 5th century, but really influential, actually, Chinese war treaties. Military strategist Sun Tzu writes this. There's real wisdom in this. Listen to this. He says, victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then they seek to win. Let me just read that again. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. We're the former. We are the former group of people there. We are the victorious ones who win first. We have won. The Lord has won for us. And the war that we are in is one where the enemy is real, yes, but he is defeated. Victory has already been won. So take your stand. The enemy is real. Secondly, stand your ground. Don't go backwards. Stand your ground. Put your armor on. Put your armor on. Um, This week I read, again, not something that I read that often. I guess it was the topic this week. I read um, the Cooper Color Code System of Military Awareness. There you go. (laughs) I'm not sure how accurate it is, by the way. There's probably some military people here thinking, no, that's rubbish. But here's what I read this week. This Color Code System of Military Awareness. It's quite helpful regardless of how real it is or not. But it talks about a sequence of colors that represent a person's mental state and awareness during a dangerous and potentially life-threatening event. And we can apply this thinking and readiness to our spiritual lives. So four colors, condition white, the soldier's relaxed and daydreaming, unaware of his surroundings, unprepared for the prospect of danger. A Christian in this condition is easy prey for the enemy. Condition yellow, soldier's relaxed physically but mentally alert, not expecting trouble but would recognize it If it arose, and a Christian at this level may sense trouble coming, but he's just not ready to confront it yet. Condition orange then, the soldier is physically prepared, mentally alert, and ready to respond. And a Christian at this stage has put his armor on. The full armor of God. Condition red then, the soldiers focused, responding to an attack that has come their way. And a Christian who is in condition red utilizes the armor and the weapons of victory that God has given to us to engage in victorious combat against the evil one as God fights for us. I wonder what color stage you would say that you're at 
Maybe you found yourself recently just spiritually daydreaming, spiritually slumbering through this life. Maybe you feel like you're easy prey. You don't feel that close to God. You haven't put your armor on. Well, I think this morning God is leading us into this place of putting our armor on and standing in the victory that is ours in Jesus, ready for whatever comes our way. And so Paul says in verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, not if the day of evil comes, when it comes, it's gonna come, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. See, Paul's repeating this idea of standing because he wants us as Christians, he wants the Ephesians and he wants you and me to be stable, to have a sense of stability in the Lord where we, we sense and we know that we're anchored in God, we're anchored in Jesus, we're stable because he is the one who holds us and goes before us. John Stott writes this, he says, for such stability both of character and in crisis, the armor of God is essential. We need to put the armor on. We can only stand our ground when we put the armor on. It's really interesting because Jesus says the powers and authorities have been disarmed. We read that in Colossians. They have been disarmed. But here Paul is telling us that we can be fully armed. The enemy has been disarmed as he comes against us. But we, as we put the armor of God on, we're fully armed. We have all that we need. He cannot get at our hearts. He can't destroy us from within. The battle has already been won, but we're fully armed. We put on the full armor of God. And our armor, we know, is the belt, that's the breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword. Again, it's really interesting because although Paul knows that, that his, his readers, his Ephesian readers would have would have thought about Roman soldiers and the armor that they had on. Paul is actually primarily drawing attention to Old Testament scripture that describes God, Yahweh. Listen to Isaiah 59, 15 to 17, because in that passage, the prophet Isaiah describes how God was displeased and, and how God was totally appalled at the injustice in the world and that no one was stepping forward to take action against the injustice in the world. And then this is what we read in verse 17. He, God, put on righteousness as his, his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And so Paul is borrowing this language. He wants us to know that God is the one who fights for us. He is the one who fights for his people. This is really important that we get this. Remember back in Exodus 14, the Israelites are terrified as they stand at the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his multitude of chariots are hurtling towards them. And we read in Exodus 14, 13 to 14, we read this. Moses answers the people and he says, do not be afraid, stand firm. Sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? Stand your ground. Stand firm. And then he says, you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then he says this, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will 
fight for you. You only need be still. The Lord will fight for you. You only need be still. My own Bible reading plan this morning landed in Deuteronomy 20. We're in verses three and four. I read this this morning. When you go into battle, do not be afraid for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you and will fight for you. Your enemies will be beaten and he will give you the victory. We must take note that God fights for us. He is the one who fights for us. King Jesus fights for us. We're not told here to fight. We're not told to go and try to try to defeat the enemy as we go to war. We're told that he fights for us. We put our armor on. We put the armor on and we stand our ground and God fights for us. Can you picture that? We put the armor on, we stand our ground, God fights. He fights for us. He defeats the enemy. The enemy has already been defeated. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to stand your ground. Like we said, our armor, the armor of God is comprised of belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword, which metaphorically represents truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. The armor is what protects us as we take our stand. It's impenetrable, it's defensive, and it's offensive, especially the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You'll notice that all the armor is on the front. There's no armor on the back. You've probably heard this before. Why is that? Well, there's no defense if we turn our back. We stand We stand our ground and God fights for us. We don't turn our back. We're not to run away, afraid, somehow believing that the enemy is greater than the one who fights for you. We stand our ground and God fights. So where is is this heading to this morning? How do we, we take our stand? We stand our ground. But what's the best tactic that we can do in this war? Well, we stand in prayer. The Spirit is within us. We stand in prayer. It sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it, to simply stand, to be still, armor on, not to fight, but to let Jesus fight for us. There's a call upon us to be still, to wait upon the Lord, to be in the place of prayerful anticipation, to place all of our waiting hope in him to linger with God in his presence, to place every ounce of our trust in him as the one who fights for us. That's why I love, and I think Psalm 46 is so loved. Maybe I could invite the worship team forward. We're going to sing in a moment or two. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roam and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he lifts his voice. The earth melts. 
The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so we stand by being still, by acknowledging the presence of God, the one who fights for us, the Holy Spirit within us. And in the stillness, we know that he is God. We talked earlier in the series about the hinge point between the stars and the dirt, if you remember. Between the wonderful theology of Ephesians, uh, the letter to the Ephesians, and then the stuff that's really in the dirt, in the practicalities of our everyday lives. And the hinge is a prayer. It's a prayer at the end of chapter, chapter 3. And Paul, at the end of the letter, urges us again to pray in the Spirit at all times, for all, on all occasions, for each other, for your church leaders, for all of the Lord's people. And Paul says we're to ask the Lord of immeasurably more for fearless courage to stand and to make known the mystery of the gospel. We're to take our stand. We're to stand our ground. And we're to stand in prayer. Why don't we do that now? Let's stand together. We're going to sing. But let's stand. We're at the end of this series. It's a moment of declaration and celebration. We come to the end of Paul's letter. Paul wants us to stand strong. Stand strong in the Lord. The enemy's real. We stand our ground. Put our armor on. We stand in prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit and God fights for us. God fights for us. Don't try to do it on your own. Stop that right now if you're tempted to go back into your life just fighting in your own strength. We're standing. We're going to go back into another week. Stand on our ground. Putting our armor on. Let God go before us. Heavenly Father, we stand in this moment. At the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, Words that echo down through the centuries and speak to us right now. Through the Holy Spirit who's communicating with us. Holy Spirit who's speaking into our hearts right now. Taking the word of God and making it come alive within us. And here we stand. We stand in your presence, God. We put our armor on, Lord. We put it on. God, we pray that you would fight for us. Once again, that you would go with us, that you would go before us, that you would fight for us. Lord, we lift each other up as we sing in response to you. 
we sing over each other. As we stand ourselves, we stand for one another. We pray that in these moments of response and worship, that there would be a sense of us standing strong in the Lord. And we pray, God, that chains would break as we worship you, that chains would break, that freedom would reign, that liberty would be in this place as we sense the mighty presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit, lead us as we respond and lift our voices in worship. A battle cry to King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.